go. Queso on three. One, two, three. Queso. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Quake Show Show, episode seven. Today, we got a very special interview with Mike Burkett, who is the athletic trainer for the baseball team as well as the soccer team. Uh, we get into that a little bit later in the show. But first, a couple updates from around the program over the last week since the last episode released. This past Saturday, we scrimmaged at St. Joe's, where we did an interesting format. Instead of, you know, a traditional nine-inning game or a doubleheader, we actually played three six-inning games, so it was the same amount of innings as a regular doubleheader. We still played 18 innings. However, it was just split into three games instead of two. Pitchers pitched well. Hitters had great approaches at the plate. They drew a lot of walks. And, of course, Wyatt Hensler and Ben Miller each homered. Wyatt, on a 3-0 count, got that green light from Coach Santella down at third base and hit it out to the opposite field. And Ben, in a two-strike count, yanked it out down to left field. Overall, really successful day, just sort of showing the building blocks for where the season's going to take us. It obviously should be a good one based off of last season's success. And we're just looking forward to getting the season started and just, like I said, a little glimpse into the 2023 season. This upcoming Sunday... We have our fall high school camp down at Michael John. We hope to see a bunch of you there for our younger listeners. And even though registration closed Monday, if you have any questions about future camps, please reach out, contact Coach Santello so we can get you down to Michael John for some of these camps. We have a couple over the winter at the beginning of the spring semester that we usually run as well. Staying on the side of camps, we will be releasing information about team camps for 16 new teams in the coming weeks so stay tuned to our social media pages for information regarding that teams can come down and participate in camps as a whole this weekend we'll be starting our fall world series which will be happening over the next couple of weeks or so yesterday coach santello and coach Di maria drafted teams that they'll be coaching throughout the fall world series and we'll be releasing those rosters who's on what team and all that kind of stuff very soon um, before game one on Friday. You know, I'll be doing some interviews as well with the coaches to sort of get them ready post-game, pre-game, just sort of getting a feel for where their mind's at as well as, you know, player of the game and all that good stuff. So stay tuned for more content surrounding our Fall World Series, which is just a more structured inter-squad sort of format to practice. And last but not least, with our updates for the week, our Penn Baseball Dinner on the Diamond event, benefiting the baseball program and celebrating the Michael John Renovation Project, will be hosted on Saturday, November 5th. Registration for this event closes on Friday, October 28th at midnight. So if you're interested in coming to support the Penn Baseball program, please make sure you register for the event before then. If you have questions regarding the event, please feel free to contact Courtney Kanawal at C-K-O-N. O-W-A-L at upenn.edu. This should be a great event for our players, our staff, our alumni, and the program in general just to build excitement around the Michael John Stadium renovation project. You know, a lot of alumni who have supported this project and help it get to the phases that it is in today will be at this event. So it'll be great to see all of their support come to fruition and celebrate them in this event. With all of those updates, we'll now get into the interview with athletic trainer Mike Burkett. 
All right, everyone, I'm here with Mikey Burkett, the athletic trainer for the Penn Quakers baseball program. Mike, what's going on? Thanks for hopping on. Thanks, Hunter. Thanks for having me. It's good. It's good to be a part of this. I'm glad to see the uh, the Quake Show brand growing and keep it going. All right. So you mentioned to me, uh, you know, as we got closer during the season, you grew up in Philly. You're a Philly guy. You went to Temple. Um, Not a lot of people know this, but I also go to Temple. Um, I think everyone just sort of assumes I go to Penn. But my whole thing is you're either smart or you're funny. Um, And I like to think I'm kind of funny and I don't go to Penn. Um, So you went to Temple for your undergrad. You went over to uh, Old Dominion for grad school. What was the transition like from Philly to Old Dominion, sort of that, and then coming back to Penn, um, transferring back into the city life? Well, it was a little bit interesting. So obviously Temple's a pretty urban campus um, in North Philly, which is not far from where I grew up in Northeast Philly and Frankfurt. But going to Norfolk in in, uh, Virginia along the coast was a little bit different. It was a much slower way of life. Um, the people in the South kind of go at their own pace. We do things as we want. We're not in a rush like I, everyone is in the Northeast. So the first year or so, it's definitely a little bit of a headwind, uh, not knowing what was going on kind of any time. The one big benefit was probably that the South is not prepared for any type of inclement weather. Um, <laughs> once we got like an inch or two of snow and I was off work for three days, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> But choosing grad school was tough. I mean, I didn't really want to go that far away. Um, my fiance and I just started dating then. So it was a six, seven hour commute home to try and make it work. Um, but I knew that I always wanted to get back to this area because I knew this is where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. But it's, I knew I wanted to get Division One experience. So kind of in my second year of grad school, I got offered to stay at Old Dominion um, to work kind of what I have now, which should have been soccer, baseball, which is always what I wanted. I didn't think I wanted to stay there. I didn't want to live in Virginia anymore. It's a great place to live, but I didn't want to stay there any longer. I wanted to be closer to home. So I actually turned down the Division One offer um, at 24 to come back home with no real job lined up. I moved back home on a Monday. On Wednesday, our head athletic trainer now, Anthony Ertz, who I was a student under when I was at Temple, was the head football team. So we have a position open. We'd like you to apply at Penn. So I applied, I applied to Penn, I applied to Princeton, never heard back from Princeton. At Penn, I was actually the number two choice the first time around, but the guy who got offered the job was just using it to get more money. Um, So then I actually got offered the job and now I've been here. This just started year five. Um, The transition was kind of, it was cool in some senses. It's always good to get outside of what you're comfortable with. And Virginia was a cool place, but it's just, I couldn't get into the way of life of how slow everything was and it's ungodly hot in the summer. (laughs) <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. Uh, was there was there a moment um, or sort of that you felt that you really wanted to be in college athletics full time? I always wanted to. I was a pretty good um, sprinter back my day. I may not look like I still have it, but I did one at one time and I was pretty good at playing football and I knew I wanted to play in college. Um, I was all set up to run track in college and then kind of I didn't want to take on student debt. I went to Temple. Temple cut their programs so never really got to. But I knew kind of from the start that if I couldn't play in college, I wanted to be around college. Um, and I thought I thought your training was a pretty cool job. That you kind of have front row tickets to everything and you really are the heroes behind the scene to keep the machine rolling a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Probably the biggest moment that stuck out to me as to why I wanted to become an athletic trainer was I broke my sternum when I was in high school uh, on a blindside hit and a, and a blowout loss in football. Yeah. When you're laying on the ground and you're not able to breathe and somebody comes down and helps you, it's a very fine moment of like, you really get your life in order mentally. And you're like, this might be it for me. Um, and at that point, 
I was very close with my high school athletic trainer. Uh, she was great. She still is. And that was kind of the moment I knew this is what I wanted to do. And it's a hands-on field. It's kind of something diverse where you can work in a ton of different settings. I have friends that work for Boeing. I have friends that work in the military. Mm-hmm. I have friends colleges. So you can kind of do a lot with it. It's cool to kind of be in those different settings. But I thought college athletics was where I always wanted to be at a higher level. And the Ivy League is kind of perfect because you have a high quality of athlete but you also have like a high quality commitment to their actual academics and then becoming good people and being successful in life. Yeah. So they, they understand the balance of, you know, that school is still very important and they maybe it's sort of like a sense of maturity about them, you know, Um, you mentioned the heroes behind the scenes. Um, This past year we had Kevin Acey was unanimously chosen as the Ivy League pitcher of the year. We had Joe Miller get drafted the Tigers. What does that sort of mean to you as, you know, you're working on them in your office before and after games. How does that sort of, you know, keep you going? Is that sort of, you know, what does that mean to you? It honestly means a lot. Um, it's pretty incredible to see people when they come in as freshmen and they're 18, 19 year old guys. And you kind of can see they had the potential to do it, but we'll like everything kind of needs to line up perfectly for them to kind of take those next big steps. And Kevin and Joe was, were the first class of seniors I had um, yeah. that all the way through. And kind of from the start, the coaches said that like these two could be special things break their way and that they keep working hard. And it's incredible to see. I always tell a funny story about both of them. I believe my first interaction with Joe, uh, I yelled at him for something. I think he did something wrong with his forms or something and and came in and was like, here's my paperwork. And I was like, said something about like, oh, you don't say hello or something. I remember that. And my first interaction with Kevin was Coach Yerk sent him in because he had no mobility. And Kevin walked in and said, I don't think I need to be here in this place. Like, be your trainer. <laughs> like, All right. And then actually, they're two of my favorite athletes I've ever worked with. They're pretty close with both of them. And I'm glad to see what they've done. But I think an athletic trainer's role, especially in baseball, sometimes isn't as well understood as other sports because you don't see it as much. But from the minute they leave the mound, they normally talk to Coach Schwartz. And then uh, about a minute or two later, I let them kind of cool down. I go over, like, how are we feeling? Anything bothering you? What are we like? What's our plan for the week? What do we want to get after? Kind of, And you get them on a regimented routine. And a college baseball athletic trainer is kind of like the confidant who knows what they're going through and knows their routine and knows who wants mm-hmm. to talk to you the day of the game, who wants to be left alone, who wants to talk right after a bad outing, who doesn't want to talk. And you kind of have to walk a fine line and kind of know each person and how they want to handle it. For example, like Kevin in the middle of pitching would come up and talk to me and say like, Oh, I suck at that. Like that, that I'm terrible. Like I'm the worst. And like, we'll be able to laugh in the dugout and like have a quick moment, but be go back out there and be like a fierce competitor mm-hmm. versus like, I wouldn't approach when he was in the dugout because he was locked in all the time and all business. So it's kind of funny to have guys who have little bit differences, but I mean, what you do for them, they understand it and they always appreciate it. But to the outside world, I don't think they know. Um, For example, in the two of them in the seven days a week, I probably would spend roughly, I'd probably say three to four hours on each of them, probably give or take probably about 30 to 40 minutes a day on them. Um, Just, maintenance stuff how are we feeling we need to keep this loose keep that loose keep you going here and that's not even addressing like if things pop up if somebody tweaks something kind of to go after but to see somebody get drafted and to see their dreams come to fruition it it honestly it never gets old and it's still the same incredible feeling for us knowing that like you played a role in that and how appreciative they are texting joe and how thankful he was and he's a great kid and i couldn't wish anything better for him but it's just incredible to see it it doesn't get old and I kind of hope it keeps happening more and more to some of the, the great talents we have and the great kids we have. Yeah.
What are some of your other responsibilities on a day-to-day -day basis? Obviously, they could change whether we're practice or they have, we have a midweek or we have, you know, um, a weekend series and we're traveling. What are just some of your regular responsibilities? So I also take care of men's soccer. So between the two, um, I have just over 70 athletes. Uh, so contrary to belief, both teams go pretty much every business day during the year. So in the mm -hmm. spring, soccer still, still goes Monday through Friday. So I'm still taking care of them. I also am in charge of our budgeting and ordering for the Holland Back at their training room, which is always a, a fun endeavor with kind of different things and trying to fit things into our budget. And uh, some other administrative tasks I won't bore you with. There aren't a ton of fun, but there's a lot of paperwork that goes on behind the scenes that no one ever really sees, which is by far the worst part about being an athletic trainer is the paperwork. It's a ton of printing and typing and everything, but it all kind of depends on midweeks and stuff. If we're home, it's a little bit different trying to get in early, get the field set up. Right make sure guys have what they need. It's also different because you know you're also balancing that day starting pitcher and the bullpen guys are going to throw versus like trying to get our weekend guys ready. And maybe if Joe or Kevin were throwing a bullpen during the midweek, like trying to be able to watch some of it to see things that we've been working on to go. And then the Ivy League weekend series are a lot of fun, but there's no denying it is a very strenuous two days as an athletic trainer. Um, I think for the Ivy League champion series between the two days, I ended up working like just under 23, 22 hours. Um, yeah. Cause obviously there's a lot of time to feel, but people don't realize when it's really hot. Like it's like, I think I made eight trips with coolers and ice and working facilities to make sure we had the fan set up and working with equipment and Cody and them and make sure we had the towels ready for guys and they came mm -hmm. off the field. So it's a busy job. It changes a lot. I would say that the busiest is probably when we have Ivy League home series on the weekends, just with everything getting set up. And then if the game ends at five and guys talk to their parents for 30 minutes, it's 530 and they come in. It's another hour, an hour and a half after the game ends before I really leave. So the old saying is athletic trainer is the first one there and the last one to leave. And sometimes I wish it weren't true, but it, it probably mm -hmm. is a lot of the time. Right. <laughs> uh, you mentioned, you know, everything with the coolers and getting back and forth with the water. You always put on the Gatorade Coors Quaker juice. Now, what's the best flavor Quaker juice in your opinion? And then what always gets the best sort of uh, best response from the players, I guess? Uh, this is a tough one. So I personally, um, I personally like mango. Mm -hmm. Now that's rough with some feathers because I know everyone doesn't like it. So we're a Powerade sponsored school. So I won't talk about the company that begins with a G. Uh, <laughs> but I would say that mango is pretty good by itself. I would say that I don't like the blue, the Mountain Berry Blast at all. Uh, okay. We didn't really much. The guys get kind of routine-based, and we did a lot of the um, lemon-lime. I think the mango is the best, and the Quaker juice started off my first year. Um, we're trying to just put something funny to keep the guys, like give them a second to like laugh about something in the seriousness of the games. <laughs> it started off with, I think it was Bean and Rob wanted me to call it Mike's Special Juice or something, and I was like, that sounds really Mike's secret stuff. Mike's yeah, Mike's off. I was like, that's a trace gem. Infringement. Yeah. So then we started off with Quaker juice and I kind of liked it. I would say mango is the best. Uh, believe it or not, there actually is a science to making uh, those types of drinks of power eating. It is not as easy as you think it is. I personally have a way I do it that I think is the best. So I put all the ice in, then dump all the powder in, most of the powder, like four fits. Then mm -hmm. I add four fits of the water, put the last little bit of powder in, then put the last water in, add more ice, then start. So okay. I think powder over the ice the ice absorbs it that it helps release it longer versus if you just put the powder in then the water in, it's just like getting diluted all over the place right. and i think i make a pretty strong uh 
mango Gatorade that's pretty pretty strong contender in terms of athletic training skills. I think right. I'm. A- I I didn't know there was a whole science behind it. Um, okay then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like to go back to the beginning of the season. Um, down at A and M last game of the series Sunday night, Seth goes running into the wall, and tears up his entire face. His teeth go through his his lips. Correct, his bottom yeah. teeth. Um, give us a little insight to that because I, Kevin Bonner and I were up in the press box going, why don't we just send out another left fielder? Like what, what was that whole situation like from your point of view? Baseball is kind of crazy work as a trainer because it's always, it's calm for 99% of the time. But when things happen, it's normally like pretty catastrophic. And real quick, I would assume most of the injuries that you deal with are also non-contact injuries, correct? Yes, I would say the vast majority. The biggest thing you'll see in baseball, probably injury-wise, is people getting hit with the ball. Mm-hmm. Or a lot of it's like we've been lucky to like not have a lot of like bad contact injuries where like guys are getting their thumbs jammed up or getting yeah. knees up. Another real big thing you see is like people running the objects. I mean, the walls don't move. Right. The walls, friend. Um, believe it or not, I mean, Seth probably won't agree with that comment that the wall is not your friend because <laughs> he likes to run into him, but. When I saw him running at it, it's kind of funny. As an athletic trainer, you're kind of always like worst case scenario to best case scenario. You kind of watch things develop and you're like, oh boy, here we go. Like this right. is gonna happen. Like when he's running full speed and he's tracking the ball, you're like, he's gonna run in, he's gonna run into the wall. Like there's no way about it. And then the ball, the ball landed like 10 feet fell, right? It wasn't really ball, close. He'll deny this the day he dies. The ball was very firmly into the bullpen and he had no <laughs> chance of catching it. But Steve had, Steve doesn't listen to that type of reason. Um, I always keep stuff on me to a certain extent. So I keep gloves, gauze, and what's called a PowerFlex AFD, which is the tape we use with the, with the absorbent bandage in it. That mm-hmm. way, real quick, we can do it. And I normally keep Vaseline on me. Now, Vaseline is kind of an old-time way of covering blood. If you put Vaseline on cuts, you won't see the blood. It'll absorb it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I got out there and it was his face, I'm like, ah, oh, here we go. And then he stood up and I'm like, like, oh, my God, like, he's bleeding everywhere. And he's like, I'm fine. I'm like, no, you're not. Yurk and I look at each other and Seth's like, I'm fine. I'm like, dude, I can, I literally did say, dude, I can see your teeth through your mouth. Yeah. And he's like, can? And Yurk's like, yeah, he can. So the one thing with college baseball is if it's a head injury, you're allowed to be evaluated and have you return to play. Mm-hmm. Um, since Seth ran into the wall, I asked for a head injury evaluation. Um, the umpires agreed with it that due to the force his head absorbed, that he was allowed to be evaluated in the dugout. Um, which gave me time to run through the full concussion testing and also gave me time to dress his face. So it's tough when you have a hole in your face. Obviously, athletic trainers are good, but we're, we're not uh, magicians by any stretch of the imagination. I can't make a miracle happen. Um, so he packed his lip pretty tightly with gauze, and there's some kind of like a knot technique you can use that will kind of fill it. Honestly, his face started to swell up pretty good, which kind of filled the gap in. And then we put a bunch of Vaseline on the inside, put more gauze on the outside, and kind of told him like, put some Vaseline on and like the inside of his hand. Like, listen, if he's bleeding, you got to keep rubbing it. Cause if the ump sees you bleed, he's going to make you come out. So yeah. in between any, we kind of addressed it after the game, he got stitches by their doctor um, right after. And I believe that man was a, um, a and M graduate and Seth kept turning the knife into him about how he beat him and how UT is better and everything. But as, as he's operating on Seth, as he's operating on Seth, but it's always funny because I have family and friends that like, we'll watch some of the games and stuff. But after that game, I had a bunch of former guys send me pictures and some family members. And there's a funny one that it was very cold that night. So I had a, our big black uh, parka on that we have. And right. we got in the, and I take it off. And one of the guys sent me, it was like, he meant business when he took the park off. Cause it's like, <laughs> I don't want to get blood on the good jacket. So I took it. 
cement business right then and there. And it was funny because the dugout and they always laugh and give me like standing ovations when guys get back out there. When Seth left, they're all clapping for me. So it was funny. I believe even the AM fans gave me a couple of cheers. So it was cool. I mean, the weird thing is people don't realize is that Thug Trainers, like, I don't want to be busy. I don't like, obviously, when people get hurt, like, right, so, right. I don't want to see people get hurt. So outside of that, that was really the only serious thing we dealt with the whole year, which was great. Um, Seth has had a history of trying to do crazy things and getting objects to the face as a result of them. So it probably won't be the last chapter in that saga with him. So I'll make sure to have the gloves ready again this upcoming year for whatever wall he decides to test. But the good news is, uh, when I was talking to Yurk last week, uh, all of the outfield walls at Michael John, at least, will be padded. So a little bit of a softer impact for him. All right, we're going to go into my like sort of lightning round. I call them hit and runs. Baseball related. Sounds pretty good, right? Um, I like it. Basically, just a quick couple of questions. Answer with the first thing that comes to your head. Sound good? Okay. All right. Favorite baseball team and player? I would say the Phillies, and even though he's hurt right now, I'd say Bryce Harper. Deemer had the same answer. I don't, know if, that, I don't know if you want to change your answer based on that information. <laughs> All right, well, if you're going to change it, I would say this will aggravate Deemer as well. I really like Aaron Nola. Yeah, know. yeah. So, all right, so you doubled down on uh, annoying him. <laughs> um, he was the greatest baseball player of all time. Contrary to what I think a lot of people are going to say he cheated, but I, I still think Barry Bonds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even if steroids, you still have to make contact with ball. And he got intentionally walked with the bases loaded. I mean, nothing that there's he's no the most feared baseball player of all time. Yeah, give up a guaranteed run versus get him like to not have the bat, you know. Exactly. Your favorite place to eat on campus. Oh, that's a good one. Just open raising canes is very good. Um okay. something I learned when I was in the south, a very good like chicken finger place. I also really like um Tyson B's the food truck by Franklin yeah. Field. Food truck's I, good. That yeah, Coach Antella. Let me go there a couple times on the season. You're on a desert island. Give me three movies for the rest of your life. Wow. For the rest of my life? Yep, for the rest of your life. Uh, I really like The Town with Ben Affleck. Okay, yeah. First, um, three other ones. I would two, other, pro- two other ones. I'd probably say Titanic. I don't okay. know. It's like kind of entertaining and gives you something to watch for the rest of your life. It'll kill about three and a half hours. Yeah, it'll, I mean, you're watching it once, so you watch it two or three times a day. You're like, there's like 30 your day going. And I always make the older guys proud. I'll probably say the other guys. Okay. Uh, classic. That movie's just so funny. Yeah, they love that movie, right? That was the. Uh... <laughs> uh, what is your favorite video game of all time? Wow. Uh, probably college football, the last one that got released, which is like. And uh, 14? Yeah, 2013. I think it has Denard Robinson on the cover. Yeah, some, uh, uh, someone else gave that answer also. I was still playing when I was in college and it was like four or five years old. I literally was playing on like a, like a broken down PS2, but I think they're releasing a new one. I just thought yeah. that game like taken over like a small time team and like turn them into a national champion. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and last one, your favorite musician. Ooh, wow. Uh, I really like country music, but I also really like uh, rap. Mm-hmm. But I would probably say right now it'd probably be Luke Combs. But I do listen to a lot of like EDM and I also listen to some Meek Mill occasionally. Right. I'd probably say country is probably my favorite right now. Okay, cool. Plug your social media so our listeners can give you a quick follow and all that kind of stuff. All my social medias is at M B U R K E I T T 8 on, I think I'm only on Twitter and Instagram. Okay. I don't have cool tweets as uh, the Penn Baseball account does. There's a lot more creativity behind the scenes than I do. All right. Well, thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. 
All right, everyone. This is Mike Burkett, athletic trainer for the Penn baseball team. Uh, Mike, anything else before we wrap it up? No, thanks for having me. And uh, I'm looking forward to another great season here at the Quakers. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Hunter. I'll see you, buddy. All right, everyone, that was my interview with Mike Burkett, like I said, the athletic trainer for the baseball program as well as the soccer program. As he mentioned, just a great conversation with a great person who really helps out the baseball program as much as anyone possibly can off of the field. Next week, I'll be featuring an interview with another alumni, Michael Green, who still is very involved in the Penn baseball program in many ways. Like I mentioned earlier in the episode, please stay tuned to more information and updates about the Fall World Series, as we'll be providing some great content throughout the next couple weekends surrounding that. And with all of that, I hope that you enjoyed this episode, and I hope that you listen to the next one, like I said, with Penn Baseball alumni Michael Green. Have a good one, everyone. Quick show on three, one, two, three, quick show.